It's, um, it's, I guess it's about 7.40. It's on June 16th, 2014. I'm up uh, in Stonemark. I just finished a run and a walk. And I'm on my way back to the house, and I I had a phone call tonight with the kids. I've just been feeling so sad, and um, I've been, you know, weeping a little bit here and there and stuff, but um, I got a chance to talk to Kaylee and Chelsea and Tyler tonight, and Chelsea still didn't understand. She said, Dad, why didn't you come get us? And I think to myself, my God, my little nine-year-old daughter for two and a half weeks is asking, why didn't Daddy come get us? And um, I said, honey, Daddy didn't come get you because your mother wouldn't let me. And I had to explain to her everything that happened and all that transpired. And she said, well, Dad, I heard Coach say, and I was like, oh, boy. She said, Dad, I heard Coach say that the reason why Tyler couldn't come to Florida was because he needed tutoring. And guess who was going to be Tyler's tutor? Dad. And Dad's too dumb. This is exactly what Coach said to the kids. And, um... Not, and I said, honey, that's not the truth at all. Daddy had a tutor lined up, and I talked to the school, and I had to explain to her all the truth. And, and then um, she said, Dad, can you, can you send us our presents? I said, honey, they're so big the, from the Christmas presents. They're so big. And I said, I'm afraid if I send them, Mom's going to either punish you with them by taking them away or donate them like she's done in the past. And so I said, honey, she goes, well, what about something smaller, Daddy? And I said, baby... Would it make you feel better? I said, you know that just because Daddy sends you something, that doesn't mean I love you. And just because I don't send you something doesn't mean I love you. I said, you know that Daddy loves you no matter what. And I said, but honey, I want to make you feel loved. Do you want Daddy to send you something? She said, yes, Daddy, something small. And I said, well, honey, what would you like? And she said, Dad, could you send me my two, you know, pop star baby dolls? And um, she goes, no, Dad, I want them to stay in Alabama. She's just like, you know, Dad, if you could just send me something small. And she's worried again already about me sending her something. You know, she's like, gosh, Dad, that would be the best gift you could send ever if you could send, you know, those two dolls. And she's asking me if I can send the two dolls that are here because she knows then I won't have to spend any money. And um, I'm going to buy her two brand new dolls, send her and the other girls some dolls. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I don't care if I have to spend every freaking penny in my checking account. And then I got on the phone with Tyler and I said, Tyler, what can I get you, son? You've suffered. You know, what can I send you, son? Dad, I don't want nothing. I just want to see you. I said, Tyler, I really appreciate that. And I said, I know that you mean that and I want to see you too. And I said, but Tyler, right now, until God says otherwise, we have to be apart a little bit. And I said, Tyler, I want you to be able to have some fun and enjoy some things. I said, you need to have some stress relief. Do you want a new game? What game? And he hardly wouldn't tell. I don't know. And I said, Tyler, you know. Tell me, son. He said, let me send you something. He goes, Dad, I just want to see you. He goes, I don't want anything. He said, I just want to see you. And finally, I got him distracted and got him talking about video games. And and then he admitted it was the Star Wars Battlefront Part 2. And uh, and so I said, Tyler, I'm going to get that for you. And he goes, but Dad, he says, he says, we have a controller that's not working. He said, Our, we need a controller. It's not working. And come to find out, 
the one controller he has is, is falling apart and the other one's broken. So he was only asking for one controller. And I said, well, then you're only going to be able to have one player. And he goes, well, that's okay. And I said, no, I'll get you two. He goes, really, Dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's a lot. He thought it was a huge deal that I'm, I'm going to send him two controllers in a video game. Because he knows I don't have very much money at all. It just breaks my heart. I got on my knees in the kitchen and I begged God. I said, God, please help me, Lord. Please help me, Father. And I just feel this, this peace like I just know. I told him, I said, guys, I want you to hold on to this. I said, God is going to provide Daddy with a lot of money. I'm going to be able to pay all the child support back. And I said, we are going to be able to go on a vacation. And we're going to go have some fun. I said, would you like that, Chelsea? She said, yes, Daddy. I asked Tyler. He said, do you think that's a good idea? He said, yeah, that sounds good. And I said, we're going to be able to go and be with each other and have family time. And we're going to be able to have a good time and put all this behind us. My heart is breaking for my children. It's been so hard for me. I miss them so much and it hurts me so bad to have them... Totally mis misunderstanding and confused, and they don't know the truth about why dad hasn't been able to come. It's 8 36 on the 17th of June 2014. I just let my mom know I'm actually was in a real hurry on my way out. A friend of mine, Tom, has contacted me and, and asked me if I would ride with him to Coleman today, and he wants me to listen to this uh, program by John Bevere called Relentless. And he, uh, so anyhow, I'm headed to go see him and I decided to go ahead and quickly let my parents know before the inspection. I, I felt led that I'm supposed to let them know before they got the inspection today. I said, Mom, and here's something else that's gonna be upsetting for you. I explained to her what happened with the kids last night. And then I said, Mom, here's something else you're gonna need to pray about and think about. And that is, um, God has made it clear to me. I said, I've already told you guys that I felt like the Lord was telling me not to move on this house thing. And God has made it clear to me that I'm not to even move in the first day. Incidentally, here's a license plate, 909, obedience, obey the Lord. And um, my mom just kind of frowned and she said, well, now I know you're not hearing from God correctly. And she's like, um, you know, when we get the house moved out, then you can move out. When, in other words, maybe about three weeks. So... I knew this was going to happen. I knew that she was going to, you know, really um, discount. And there's a 777 right there as just a reminder of God's faithfulness and what God can do in the last minute. And so I'm, I totally trust the Lord. I totally trust the Lord. And, you know, I knew this was going to happen and, and it was going to take courage for me to speak to my mom about this. And I, I, I feel bad for my mom and I feel bad for my stepfather because I feel like it is probably going to be something that's going to cause them suffering. I think that they would like to think that their son would want to live in that house and that um, they could be a part of my future welfare. And I, I, I know they would feel blessed by that. Um, and I, I would be, be blessed by that. I, I told my parents the first day, I said, just so you guys know, I would love to live in this house. But God has ha apparently has a different plan for me. And I don't know what that is. And I want to be real careful about, 
you know, who I tell about this because I don't want to do anything to cause anybody to be emotionally moved to help me. I know that God is going to help me. I know that I'm going through this suffering for a huge reason, and it's to, to show the absolute faithfulness of our God, you know, and to learn of His ways through these dark, difficult days. You know, you don't learn much about God, and your faith isn't tested when things are just comfy. And so I am... You know, really just going to keep trusting the Lord. I've had a bad headache this morning, already this morning. Um, got to spend a lot of time in the Word. And I uh, just took three ibuprofen and got on my face and said, Lord, please help me with this headache. It's a sinus headache because I haven't been taking an allergy pill. So, um, anyhow, I'm going to go spend some time with my friend Tom, whom I love and adore. And so thankful that he keeps reaching out to me. And I'm going to see how it goes. God has just once again shown his amazing faithfulness to me. I'm so blessed. Last night was the night that I had the real difficult call with the kids. And, oh man, I'm just so excited about right now what God is doing. And um, I uh, wanted to buy the kids, you know, some gifts after we had this conversation last night. And I realized that my son needs some controllers and Chelsea wanted just some small little gift and Tyler didn't want me to give him anything and I said, son, you need something. You need something. You've been through some suffering. Dad wants to bless you. I want to give you something good and he finally told me of the video game he would like to have. So I don't have any money. I have $150 in my checking account and when I got off the phone last night, I said, Lord, I don't care if I don't have any coffee money. I'm going to spend every penny in my checking account on my kids. If I have to spend every penny, and there's one penny left in that checking account, and I'm going to, I'm going to make this sacrifice for my kids. And I decided, and I only have $150 in my checking account. So I kind of questioned it a little bit. You know, is this a smart thing to do? Am I just giving to my kids out of emotion? Should I wait and trust the Lord? And after praying about it, I realized, no, I, I really do need to get these kids these gifts. I need to do it. And and it was like God just said, just trust me for the finances. And and it takes faith for me to spend that kind of money in my checking account when I don't have any. But it didn't. It wasn't really going to bother me at all because this was for my kids. I'm like, I don't care. I'll give them my last drop of blood. So, and here it is. It's 1122 right now. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. So, I get a call this morning. While I was actually thinking about, you know, finishing up my Bible study and going and doing the shopping for the kids, I get a call from Tom. He says, man, I've been thinking about you, and we were supposed to meet together last week, and we didn't get a chance. He says, can you ride with me to Coleman this morning? Told him a little bit about what happened last night on the phone, the kids. So we ride out to Coleman, just had a great time with him. We get back, and he says, hey, I want to give you this for the kids. He opens up his wallet, and he pulls out some money. And I said, Tom, now before you give me any money, I said, I need to talk to you. I said, look at me, man. And, and I said, I need you as a friend in my life that won't judge me or what's going on in my heart that you'll feel safe enough to trust me with God. I don't have a lot of people that have enough faith that I can share. And I said, Tom, that means I may need to sometimes talk about money. And I said, I don't want to feel like every time you and I get together, you have to give me money. You've given me a $100 bill. And I said, Tom, I've been so thankful so thankful. And I said, but I want to be able to share with you and not have you give out of emotional manipulation. No. And I said, because I don't ask any man for money. And 
he said, Mike, you can trust me on this. Well, the money was folded. And I said, because Tom, I told my father last night, I said, Tom, I got $150. He had already set the money on that thing. And I said, Tom, I'm going to, I've told the Lord last night, I'll spend every penny I have on that $150 on the kids. And he goes, well, he just gave it back to you. And I didn't really know what he meant. When I left, I pulled the money out, unfolded it. It was $150. Exactly what I just told God I was going to give away to my kids. And I said, Lord, I don't care if I have to stay at home and not can't go eat any coffee and nothing. I'm going to spend it all. And God, before I even could spend it, gave it back to me. And that is just so awesome. So awesome. You know, of, of God's faithfulness. And again, I'm going to tell the children this. I'm going to tell the children this. They're going to know that God is working on their behalf. This is just like the birthday story with Chelsea last year when I didn't have any money and we got on our knees and prayed and asked God to provide and he gave gave me a hundred dollars the next day the day before we were supposed to go have our planned dinner party me and Chelsea and got our little bear God is faithful God is faithful it's 312 on June 17th 2014 I'm just coming off of the mountain I saw a 646 this morning while I was on the road with Tom, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if I'm supposed to go to the mountain today, but I know I've got to go look for toys for the kids. Come home, I uh, try to take a quick 20-minute nap, I get up, I head to Walmart to look for some toys, a little frustrated with what I find or don't find, decide I uh, leave on my way out of the Walmart parking lot. I was actually going to go straight to either Toys R Us or um, Target and see what they had and I see a 646 and I start thinking hmm how am I gonna have time to get the kids toys get them shipped and be ready for my 530 meeting today and get a video up by tomorrow started getting a little bit kind of like hmm a little anxious so I'm driving home and I say okay I'll go home first put my jogging clothes on go to the toy store, look for the toys, and then head up the mountain because they're kind of in the same direction. While I'm getting dressed, I sense I'm supposed to go to the trail first. Actually, while I'm leaving the garage. So I'm just leaving out, and I sense, no, I know what I'll do. I'll go to um, the mountain first, come home, take a shower, and then I'll head to the toy store back on my way to the uh, Starbucks to meet Terry tonight. Uh, she's in trouble and needs to have a friend to talk to, apparently. So... I am like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, I get up to the mountain. There's nobody there except for one motorcycle in the parking lot, an old, like, 1980 BMW. I get almost to the top of the mountain, and here the guy comes. And I greeted him, asked him if that was his motorcycle by any chance, started talking. His name was Jared. I got to talk to Jared for no less than, golly, 15 minutes probably, and got to share my faith in God with him got to ask him a little bit about his faith found out his father has left here and uh, gone to Michigan and has a Christian ministry that he's taken over or a little church that he's taken over up there but that he down here was more involved in like taekwondo and stuff and that had some Buddhism you know in it and all that but I, I got the opportunity to share um, a great deal of my testimony with him and encouraged him he's 23 years old and I, he's an engineering student. I got to really encourage him to put God first. 
uh, John 7:17, and I even got to share with him um, the story, and he said he was going to go take a look at it, and I just knew that I was going to run into somebody up there again after seeing the 646, and I was just blessing God's name for how he knew that I needed to go to the mountain first, not the toys first, because Jared was on his way down the mountain when I was on my way up. So if I would have waited an extra 15 minutes, I would have never seen him. So it's it's always so encouraging to see how God is directing my steps. So this gave me some real encouragement by way of Laura, or in regards to Laura. I've been praying a lot about her at a day on the mountain, and I started thinking, wow, you know, God orders my steps so precisely that He's made me arrive at coffee shops that don't have any parking spots so that I'm forced to go to another one because the other, the person he wants me to meet that day is at another Starbucks. Or I'll be sitting there deciding, do I go to the coffee store to the left or to the one to the right yesterday? And I go to the one to the right, and who's there? Sean. And it ends up being a two-hour divine appointment. He's now coming to the Bible study on Wednesday night. And I just think of all these times that God has called me up to the mountain and I meet James Martinez, the atheist, or I meet Ben, the youth leader for all of Willowbrook Church, or I, I meet Nick, who's up walking in the woods, lonely, broken up with his girlfriend, struggling in college, coming up there to find some encouragement. You know, meet um, Clint at Starbucks and walk up and begin speaking to him. And all these these encounters that God, or, or, or meeting Greg Edmonds, who I went to high school with, you know, and who's been struggling with drugs on and off his whole life and really needs some encouragement. And it's just it's just awesome to see um, how God orders my steps to have me meet all these people for His purpose. And then God just gave me this huge dose of reality of, Michael, this is why it's going to be so easy for me to connect you to Laura. You know, you don't have to worry. It's all about my timing. When the timing is right, I will connect you to her. And God will order both of our steps, just like he's done before, um, the times I've run into her, to to see her again. And um, one other interesting thing is today I was coming down the trail and I started to visualize meeting her. I don't want to be nervous. I have a peace and a confidence that's coming over me from the Lord. Uh, the first time I saw her, I was so nervous. My knees were shaking. You know, the, the second time I would see her after God gave me a, a dream about it. And I realized how out of whack my priorities were and my thinking in that moment. I was still very weak in that area. And God has helped over the last two years to really strengthen me. I just feel myself having a much greater deal of peace. Obviously, I'll have some butterflies, but that I will have peace. And I will be able to trust God and... Um, know that he's putting it together and I don't need to be anything that I'm not and don't need to try to be impressive and just not that I would want to do that but just to be myself and enjoy the process and know that it's not probably going to go from zero to 60 overnight there may be a period of friendship or you know um, even some more uh, reluctancy on her part to, to engage in any kind of a relationship with me for a while but that I can trust God and I'm trying to prepare myself for those scenarios and really just visualize in advance when I see her, not to be overly surprised, but at the same time, you know, being measured and how much of what I already know about her do I share, meaning that, that God has already spoken to me so clearly about her for two years and that I'm in love with her and 
waiting for her. I can't obviously tell her these things right up front. That would absolutely <laughs> freak freak a person out. There's no doubt. If it didn't freak her out, I would worry about her a little bit unless God does some miraculous providential thing with her. Incidentally, I have been praying for that God would providentially open her eyes to me and speak to her about me and encourage her uh, such that when we do meet, she begins to sense that it's of the Lord. And I know that in His timing and in His way, He'll take care of this. Last night I had meetings separately with uh, my friend David and uh, another friend, his roommate, Terry. I have been trying to warn these two for months that they've put themselves in a very compromising situation by being roommates, single, lonely. They've crossed all kinds of boundaries, started talking about things they shouldn't talk about, acting the way they shouldn't act. It's created confusion. Now, Terry has started having some feelings for David. She had feelings for him in the very beginning. I told my friend David, David, you should not move into a house where a woman has a crush on you that you're not interested in. Um, you definitely should move in her house no matter what. But he did, and now it's coming to a climax. I've met with them each individually, separately. And I'm watching these two people. It's breaking my heart, and it makes me angry at the same time because they're making decisions as foolish people. They are, when I read the Proverbs over and over, I'm seeing more and more them playing out on the pages written 3,000 years ago in Proverbs. Um, not thinking about what they're doing before they do it. Um, acting according to how they feel rather than to a biblical principle. Not putting in boundaries. Not walking in the true identity of Christ that they have. But still being drawn to find identity, security, um, their, their likability, their love and acceptance from people. And people that are less than perfect people. Less than people that are good Christians, that's for sure. And I went and met with Terry last night, and she kind of let the cat out of the bag that uh, David's been hanging around with this guy, apparently, uh, named Nick, who has been drunk a couple several times and has been inappropriate to Terry and has come on to her and, and done very, very weird, bizarre things, even in her own house, while David was there. And I just, having had such a strong feeling that David was living a double life, became really very angry to hear about this shared some things with her, told her what I felt like the Bible had to say about her situation, and then moved on to my meeting with David where I sat immediately down and said, Buddy, I hate to tell you this, but I need you to be brutally honest with me right now. Our friendship is on the line. I was very, very serious with David. And I said, you know, you're hanging around with these people, these two guys that came to help us move chairs the other day. I go to their car. They're clearly up to no good. Sounds like they're you know, doing pot or something like that. Now you're, you know, he ended up confessing to me that he thinks they maybe are messing around with some cocaine. And the one guy's calling himself a Christian, a big devout Christian. And David's hanging around hiring these guys as if he can't find some good, hardworking, honest people. I am watching this. I ended up getting a dinner last night. So I helped him for three hours for, you know, a $25 dinner, which I had offered to do it for nothing. But I told David, I said, the Lord's been showing me these scriptures that the companion of fools comes to ruin. And he said, oh, I saw that the other day. And I said, David, you know, oh, but Mike, I'm I'm living it, man. I'm, I mean, I'm only struggling with some angelly and I still struggle with looking at some women. Well, you got you to gotta stop that, man. You got to stop it. And I feel like no matter what I say to David, you know, he, he, he pretends like he gets it. And I think he hopes to get it. But then he's under such an influence and such bondage to other people. 
I want so bad to believe him, but I walked away from the meeting last night feeling like if I were to see his text messages and the people he's texting and the things he's seeing and the people he's hanging around, when he gets around other people, he acts like a completely different human being. It's totally different, which means he's living a duplicitous life. That is very unpleasing. That is wicked to the Lord. So I, um, I've confronted him on all this. I walked away and I feel such love for the guy and am really frustrated by the way I walk away and feel like it's in one ear and out the other, how he can't not be alone. He's got to always be around somebody. Even as we were leaving last night, he has to call up some guy and the guy's going to have dinner and he wants to just go hang around and sit by the guy while he's having dinner. He just can't. And I know he probably didn't want to go home because he didn't want to have to deal with Terry. And um, anyhow, long story short, you know, every time I do this, I feel a sense of hope. But then I feel like it's not going to do any good. I um, wake up this morning, I see this scripture 522. Been seen it the last couple of days. And I'm like, Lord, you know, what is this scripture that you're showing me here? I get to Proverbs 522. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. That's verse 21. Verse 22 says, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. If there was ever a person I can think of in all of the people I know that that verse perfectly matches, it's David the evil deeds of a wicked man will ensnare him. David is ensnared. He's caught. It's like no matter how hard he tries, he can say, bless God, God's awesome all day long, and yet turn around and be hanging around with a drunk person who's putting his roommate's toes in his mouth to try to you know, be perverted and sexual with her and hanging around with people that are smoking pot or getting emails from people that are offering things he shouldn't be offered, or, you know, texts or what have you, and just constantly acting different around other people. And I look at this and go... This is what God has been warning me about David Martin. So this happens this morning. Last night, I wake up this morning having had a dream. Michael Commentary. I want to point out this David that I'm referencing here is the David that you would have heard about many episodes ago where I was talking about the false prophet who was prophesying over a few people at the Rock Church in Huntsville, Alabama, in a Sunday night, what they were currently calling encounter services, he picks out my friend David and begins to explain to him that his whole life is a case study, but that God has extraordinary plans for him, is going to take him in a whole new direction and bless him in ways he can't imagine, yada, 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 whatever the exact prophecy was. Now, I've already explained to you back then that that was a false prophecy, but it's very important for you to now hear what God is telling me, Michael Criswell about this gentleman in a dream, meaning about my friend David. End of commentary. And in the dream, as best I can remember, I'm in David's BMW trying to drive his vehicle across like a desert. And the desert is very sandy. I'm in the BMW and the desert is on a hill. So naturally the car is sliding as I'm moving forward. The car is starting to slide to the right and either near dangerous you know, like a cliff ledge or something. All I know is I don't want to go down. I don't know if the car, you know, will fall off a cliff or something or, or there's something bad over there I'm not supposed to, you know, go to. And so I'm having to turn the car super hard to the left and give it gas. And in the car, the car, in the dream, the car's front-wheel drive. So that front-wheel drive is helping me to keep the car back up to the top part of the hill without it sliding down. And I'm fighting it with everything I can to try to keep this car 
from going off the cliff. Well, this is totally incidental of me trying everything I can to keep David from going off the cliff. I mean, this is so symbolic of everything I've been doing with this guy, trying to warn him, trying to be in his face, trying to pray for him, trying to be delicate with him, trying to get two other guys that have said they see this in David that don't want to confront him. And, you know, I'm the only one, and I'm trying like crazy to keep his car off this. So the next part of the dream, we've come to this place where we have to cross like this cavern of some kind or jump across this this from one rock ledge to another, and it's a far way down. You die if you don't make it in between this. Well, in the dream, I've already looked at it and realized that I can't get across. So David has made, thrown all these rocks. I get there and I realize David has thrown all these rocks in place to try to to, to make a, like a, a cross bridge for us to go through. But it's all rocks that are just barely touching each other in one place. It's totally looks like if you put one foot on it, it's going to crumble and your death is certain. And I'm looking at this and I'm sitting on the edge of the cliff with him looking at this going, David, we can't do this. You cannot walk across on all this. You're not going to make it. While I'm saying it, the ledge behind us collapses and we are falling together. And in the dream, I'm falling, but I'm not afraid. Um, I'm afraid, but I'm falling and I feel like I'm going to survive the fall. It's like I'm sitting on this rock and this rock is so big that I feel like this rock is going to take the, the the pounding for me. It's gonna. It's like it's so heavy that it's going to bust through even a ground or rock below it to provide a little bit of cushion as I hit the ground below. But you know we're free falling, and in the dream, the dream ends. You know, like just as I'm hitting the ground, and and I think it's like okay, or I, maybe I wake up and f- envision what would happen if I fell, and it's like. I wake up this morning realizing I'm like, God has been warning me. A companion of fools comes to ruin. I've been trying so hard to get David to steer his car the right direction. And then at the end, he makes this decision to try to make this leap from one place to another with these crumbling rocks below him. And he wants me to go with him. I'm there looking at it and warning him going, no, no, no. It's almost like just because I was his companion in that, I suffered as well. And so now this morning, I've just been praying and going... I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to go be around him. I don't want to be in the car with him. I don't want to go have dinner with him anymore. I don't know what it means, but I don't want to be where he's going to be when when the when the cliff gives way. I feel like that's exactly what's going to happen to David. I feel like no matter what I tell him, below the scenes, he's 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 living in such a way and continues to look at women and continues to be ensnared by sin and continues to act like a fool. Uh, like I went to the bathroom last night. Uh, while our waiter was waitress was taking our order, and I could tell she was a cute little girl. I could tell that David was interested in talking to her, not necessarily in any particular way, but by the time I go all the way over to the bathroom on the other side of this movie theater building and come back, he's still talking to her. And I was like, this is an example of what I would not be doing and that he's doing. He's, he's continually doing these kind of things, saying things he shouldn't say, always needing to impress other people, always trying to be a clown and always wanting to have fun. And he says, you know, Mike, 10% of the time I'm around you, we have fun and the other percent, not so much. Like it's always got to be around fun. And he knows I'm always hammering him. And I take life very seriously. But it's like David's heart in this way is impenetrable. He, he tells you what you want to hear. He goes along with you and then we'll try to give you compliments and say things. You know, oh, you're just better at me than this. Oh, you're good. Oh, I was so... As a way to try to appease the fact that you're getting in his grill. And he acts like I don't know he's doing this. And so I feel 
absolutely certain that at this point, God is warning me over and over about my relationship with David and that I need to stay clear and I need to, if he wants to come to the Bible study, fine. But for me to not be doing, just like it was before, where I'm not doing a lot of things with them, I'm not going to birthday parties, I'm not going to be going out on the boat anymore with them, that I'll meet with them individually if they want to meet for you know a talk about the Bible or whatever, but I'm not going to be doing things, yoked with them, having fun, hanging around. I'm not going to do it. I think that God has made it clear to me that David is choosing to stay stubborn and that David is choosing to continue to flirt with the edge and instead of living in the fear of the Lord, oh my God, get these people out of my life. I don't want to have anything to do with these pot-smoking, drug-addicted workers and, and I don't want to have anything to do with these old friends of mine texting me. I know where you can get a job and all that kind of stuff. If he's going to be living like that kind of stuff and doesn't want to say, get out of my life, I'm not having anything to do with it. And he's telling God that it's okay. To live like that, I got this, everything's cool, you know, a little bit of fun, never hurt anybody type of thing. And the fact is, he may be not doing those things, but he's leaving the door open and it's only a matter of time before he's tripped up. And that's what the Lord is telling me. And I'm not going to be there and I'm not going to say, I told you so. I already have told him so before it happens. And I just, I feel like the Lord has made it super abundant, clear to me, warning me over and over. Do not be a companion with fools or you will come to ruin. And as much as I love him and as much as I want to see him turn, I love myself enough and I'm not putting the second commandment ahead of the first. Love the Lord your God is the first commandment. Love others as yourself is the second. And I love myself enough not to hang around with somebody who wants to continue to be foolish. It's 8 o'clock in the morning on June 19th, 2014. I sat outside this morning did a little bit of Bible study, realized I was feeling a little bit of heaviness and that I need to run to the Lord. And um, I asked the Lord last night, Father, are you pleased with me? Please let me know if you're pleased with the direction and decisions I'm making. Literally just two seconds before I said that, I looked across the street, four lanes of traffic, and I see a 111 staring at me on the front license plate of a vehicle. And uh, anyhow, I knew that I needed to go to the mountain this morning to speak to the Lord and to be encouraged in my faith. I'm feeling a little bit, um, <clears throat> a little bit weary, a little bit. Um, I don't know how to ex- how to explain it. I don't. I'm not feeling. Uh, I need to be revived in my spirit this morning. So I uh, offered to help my stepfather move a cabinet on the way out. We head back over to um, Burl's house to uh, pick up one last piece of furniture and. Uh, pull in the driveway and I see a 7-Eleven on a sign get out of the car walk up to the big giant commercial gas uh, commercial trash can that's sitting in the driveway 555 uh, just now as I'm um, headed down the road here um, a truck passes me on the left hand lane 511 that is uh, the father gives good gifts to those who ask I will deliver you persevere that's the message the Lord has given me uh, right now. And I love you and I'm pleased with you. 111 on the other side. So this again is just God's divine providence always to show me when I need to. When he knows, like literally this truck, Silverado 47JS511. It's right in front of me right now. Red Chevy Silverado truck. And um, that's God reminding me, persevere, persevere. James 511. So, uh, interestingly enough, an update, you know, the Lord had told me to tell my parents, I specifically journaled this, that I knew I was supposed to tell them before they got the inspection back. 
I'm not 100% sure why, but I think I kind of know why. But I told them, you know, I'm not allowed to to move into this house. My mom said, well, now I know you're not hearing from the Lord right. These were her exact words. And I just, I, I didn't say anything. I just walked away from it. Um, but I uh, found out yesterday they say that the house has a major problem with it. There's water issues underneath of the house. And so it may be a deal breaker. They're not sure if the, if the person is going to uh, fix it or not. They think the person is going to have to fix it because they can't sell the house with this as a problem. But they're not sure. So anyhow, bottom line, whether they get the house or not, the Lord has still told me I'm not allowed to move in it. So my mom said, well, you got about three weeks then until we get moved into that house or whatever, and then you need to be out. So here I am again. Uh, I have no idea where I'm going to go. I have uh, maybe 60 or $70 in my checking account right now. I, I spent the 150 that was a gift to me uh, from Tom. I gave that to my kids with the, uh, to buy their presents, and I spent an extra $50. The shipping was $61. I, I couldn't believe how much money that was to ship it, but, you know, no big deal. I'm... I'm I said, Lord, it doesn't even matter. I don't care. It's for my kids. I just don't even care. I didn't even think about it more than 30 seconds. And um, anyhow, I am really excited about them getting their gifts tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm going up to the mountain to seek my father and pray and ask him to refresh and revive my spirit and help me to persevere. Because again, I'm every day, I'm walking in the dark. I have no idea. I'm also a little bit discouraged because I have a guy that's showing up in my Bible study, another guy. He seems like a nice guy, but he's another one of these guys who gets weird. He always uh, wants, he's there to show everybody uh, how smart he is not to actually learn. And at every given opportunity, instead of asking questions or, you know, whatever, it seems like he's always wanting to show how smart he is and take us down a rabbit trail of something in the Bible. I mean, sometimes it's the weirdest thing and I'm just going oh man not another Bryce you know I handled it okay but this morning I'm asking the Lord for the wisdom on how to deal with it I almost think of it as a training opportunity to help some of the other guys begin to understand that just because a person comes into a Bible study and opens their mouth and knows scripture doesn't mean that it's coming from the spirit of God or that it's in line with truth that we need to discern is what this person's saying right now is there anything inside of us that says "Ooh, this is kind of weird and does that weird line up with something in Scripture? Meaning, just because we feel something's weird doesn't mean it's not truth. There's lots of weird things in the Bible. But oftentimes, people get weird, and it has nothing to do with the Bible. And there's one car in the parking lot here, parked backwards this morning. I'm hoping and praying that have a good, good morning with the Lord. It's the 16th, um, no, 19th, 2014. I'm June, and I'm sitting up here on the very top of the cliff. It's um, probably about, I don't know, 8.30. Oh, no, it's 8.58 right now. It's almost 9 o'clock. And I just uh, finished listening to When God Closes Doors by Charles Stanley, parts 1 and 2. And um, it's a wonderful message. I quickly want to journal the fact that God helped open my eyes to uh, something interesting about when I got mad at him. Um, there are uh, plenty of people, pastors, that have shared the importance of not getting mad at God. 
Um, but Charles Stanley added something today which I thought was awesome, and he talked about not getting mad and turning away from God, but bringing Him your real emotions. And I thought, I had an aha moment in there and realized that I went to God with my anger instead of going away from Him. What an amazing um, realization that is. I've never really thought of anything different, but what I'm realizing is that a lot of times when people get mad at God because of their situation, they run away from Him. They turn away from Him. And I actually turned to God and said, God, you're making me mad at you. I'm so frustrated. I don't understand why you're doing this. Whew, I still feel the emotion there when uh, I think about how upset that young man was me. When I got so mad at God when everything was being taken from me. And I'm just unbelievably thankful now. God Almighty, I'm so thankful. I just praise the Lord when I realize that He... Now, I'm not thankful that I've not had this time with my kids, but I'm so thankful that God did what He did in my life so that I could find Him in full measure. And I know that uh, amazing things are, are happening and will continue to happen because God closed those doors in my life and removed um, the dross, the things in my life that were not... Helping him, primarily my ex-wife who was going in a totally different direction than I was. And now God has made me into a better father, a better son. And um, I know that my day is coming where I'm going to get to turn around and pour this back into my children full time. And that's the desire of my heart. I also know that God's going to give me a new wife, just like he uh, has promised me. And um, she's going to be a wife of noble character. And so good things are happening. The other thing I wanted to capture, so the main point on that is never be afraid to be mad at God as long as you run to Him about it. Um, you know, and just, I, I never lost my faith in Him. I was just letting Him know I was really mad and frustrated at what was going on in my life. So thankful that by His grace I ran to Him and not away from Him. The other thing that keeps coming up that I feel like I need to take action on could just be an idea that I'm having, but it just keeps coming back over and over again. That I don't think there's anybody that can communicate the ways of God as I know them any better than Charles Stanley. I certainly know that I cannot. And I think about how unbelievably touched, how profound, how insightful, how moving, how truthful, and how encouraging his words are. And the wisdom that God has given him to be able to communicate these messages of real, practical, relevant principles of God based upon the truth of God. I find myself for, for, for months now listening to these messages going, Yup, that's exactly how God dealt with me. Yup, that's exactly what happened in my situation. Yup, that's exactly how I felt. Yup, that's exactly where I was tempted. Yup, that's exactly how I saw God speak. And I just am thinking of almost innumerable real life examples in my life that fit perfectly as illustrations uh, on top of the teaching that Charles Stanley is teaching. One thing I've always been... Um, wondering about with Charles Stanley is why he doesn't use more stories and real life examples. He he does not often share from his own personal stories, whereas with me, I feel God has called me to turn uh, the stories in my life inside and out. I'm a storyteller. Um, in fact, yesterday or day before yesterday when I was in the car with my friend Tom Talla, he says to me, Mike, you and John Bevere are so much alike. Have you noticed everything you speak is in a story? You illustrate everything with a story. <laughs> and... Um, He's like, do you notice that about you? And I'm like, well, I guess, now that you mention it. I've, of course, I've noticed this, but I'm, I'm not really conscious of it because it's just the way God wired me. I mean, in fact, all my journal entries are stories. But 
I feel like I'm supposed to maybe reach out to Charles Stanley's organization to In Touch Ministry and see if I can get permission to use some of his recordings or videos in my teaching videos. I would very much like to draw people to his teaching. Um, I don't think anybody can teach the Word of God better than Charles Stanley can in this. I just don't see, as far as what my mission is called, as far as the the specific, you know, methods or strategies or approach uh, that God has called me to use, it's so right in line with Charles Stanley. It's unbelievable. And, I mean, he's not going to be around forever. But to me... When you take the teaching of Charles Stanley and then you say, yes, here's the principle, here's the teaching. Now, let me illustrate a story for you of exactly how Charles Stanley is right about this and how God used this exact principle in my life in this way. Here's, here was the circumstance. Here's how I responded or reacted. Um, here was the effect or the consequence. Here's how God responded to that. Here's how it happened again another time and how I did it differently so forth and so on, and I just feel like it would be such a powerful, powerful way to teach the Word of God and show people the ways of God with more stories and being able to say, okay, here's Charles Stanley. I've never met him in my entire life, teaching principles that when I listen to his recordings, I go, yep, that's exactly what God taught me in the middle of the woods. Yep, that's exactly how God spoke to me. You remember Charles Stanley when you said the first time God really started speaking to you, he said, trust me. Well, let me tell you, I have it recorded that three and a half years ago when I was on my way up here to Florida and I'm saying, God, how can you ask me to leave these kids behind like this in the hands of this ex-wife? And God said to me these two words, trust me. I have this journaled. I have it recorded. This is exactly how God spoke to me. So these amazing things that, and that's just one tiny example I'm sitting here thinking to myself, man, I would really like to have the opportunity to do this. So I'm going to actually pray uh, that God's going to open the door and see what could happen about this. I don't care about promoting me. I care about promoting the Word of God. What better way for me to do that than to promote people for Charles Stanley? If, if there are people who are coming to me that will never go to Charles Stanley or that my story could be uh, an open door to even better teaching than what I can do, I don't have any desire to be the man. I have a desire to be a conduit of God's truth, of God's love, of God's faithfulness, of God's uh, the testimony, evidence. I have a, I have a, a, a desire to be um, testimonial evidence of God's faithfulness and for people to say, look, if He did it for me, if He did it through me, if He did it with me, He'll do it with you, He'll do it for you, He'll do it through you. And trust Him. The number one thing that God has taught me, the God that wants me to teach people, is to seek Him, trust Him, and to obey Him. This is the actual very fine purpose that God has called me to. Not to teach people about the end times, eschatology, and um, not to understand even the history or the Greek and Hebrew behind every word and letter in the Bible. No, that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to help people have very simple, childlike trust and obedience. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus, just like the hymn says. And it takes stories, it takes evidence, it takes good teaching, it takes good encouragement to do that. And I don't know, I'd love to be able to partner with Charles Stanley's organization in that way. And I just think that would be such an amazing, amazing thing.
I'm going to pray about how God would maybe do this. I, I trust Charles Stanley more than any teacher. When he speaks, I feel like his teaching is so specifically in line with what I'm experiencing. Like, Charles Stanley's teaching wouldn't apply to surface-level Christians. This whole idea of trusting and obeying and waiting and not wavering in faith and, you know, dealing with difficult circumstances and, you know, looking beyond... Um, uh, the, what you can see and dealing with closed doors, that stuff doesn't apply to people who are not obeying God. It doesn't apply to people who are snorkelers. So, what a wonderful blessing. I just came in and there was an envelope on my bed. It's 4 o'clock on June 19th, 2014. I opened it up and it was another money order from Western Union. $210 made out to me. Uh, that's the second one. It came from the same Kroger, Kroger number 517. It, it was written with different handwriting. One looked like a female, and this one looked like a male. The first one was $150. Today's was $210. I mean, that is just so neat that God is moving upon somebody's heart to provide. This is amazing day. Yesterday, I went to UPS, and the shipping was $60. It was so expensive, and I just was like, that's okay, Lord. I would have spent $1,000 to get these kids these toys. I wanted to bless them and show them their dad's love, that I'm thinking about them and all that. And um, then today, I had 50 something dollars in my checking account after spending the 60 extra dollars on shipping. And today, I received this check for $210. God is blessing me and taking care of me. It is so wonderful, so wonderful to see that. It's 10.42 at night. I wanna, um, I'm just going to bed and I wanted to record that <clears throat> my mom said two negative things to me today. She doesn't mean it, but I, I received a, a check today, $210 donation. And my mom said something about, you want to know something cool? And I just happened to have just opened it and I said... Yeah, but first, you want to know something cool? I said, look at this, and I showed it to her. And I said, two donations in two days. The first words out of her mouth are, I said, isn't this awesome that somebody sends me this money to help me? I don't ever ask anybody for the money. First thing she says is, are you sure it's not just somebody that feels sorry for you locally because it's coming from Birmingham? That means it's coming from around here. That's the first thing that comes out of her mouth is, are you sure? I, I noticed the other one came from Birmingham, too. Are you sure it's not just somebody around here that feels sorry for you? That's the way my mom sees what God is doing in my season. I'm, I'm you know, totally humbled, and my situation looks desperate in her eyes. Then, tonight, I'm sitting here working on the story video. I'm working on these videos, the deconstructing the testimony. I see a 666, totally separate from the ones that are in the story. Parents come home a little bit later. Mom walks by my room and says, Oh, by the way, Patty and I talked about it tonight, and neither one of us are liking these videos you're doing about deconstructing the story. Patty's not liking them. I told her I watched about one and a half, two of them, and then quit. And you can hear the doubt, the enemy coming in. You should stop this. Nobody's getting it. You're being too transparent. They, everybody thinks you're still hurting. Everybody thinks you're bashing your ex-wife. You're a slanderer. Da, da, da. You're, you hear this kind of stuff. And so well, that's funny, Mom. I actually just got an email from a lady today who's disappointed that I'm not doing them every day because she's got a new routine. Well, this was just from a woman's perspective. And I said, well, this was a woman. She goes, oh, well, 
And then Wesley's mom had come up to me during church on Sunday morning and said, she with tears in her eyes, said, Michael, your videos are making me think about some things that I need to look at in my past. So I'm reminded of those thoughts, but just want to capture how sly the enemy is. Always trying to discourage, always trying to talk you out of doing what God's asked you to do. If I put my eyes on what I think or feel, I'll quit. If I put my eyes on what God has told me to do, I'll stay the course. It's 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, June 21st, 2014. I'm headed up to the mountain this morning. I felt a need to go dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Um, I've noticed that ever, ever since my mom made that comment to me two nights ago about, you know, Patty and I don't like your videos right now. We like the old videos, but we don't like these. And um, that has been occupying a good deal of my thoughts. I mean, I know to think, okay, what's the truth, you know? But no matter what, I've been thinking a lot. I've been, I've been having thoughts like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have done that so soon. Oh, wow, maybe I should... Maybe I should take them down and redo them. Maybe they're too emotional. Maybe I, maybe I need to film another video and explain that, hey, I don't actually feel as emotional about this as I did when I filmed it, and I'm feeling this like, like a need to defend um, my actions uh, in in choosing to do that video and having lots of doubts, and I have to think to myself, hmm, where are those coming from? I think that. There's a couple of thoughts that come into play here is that I have had a tendency in my whole life to be to quickly change my mind on things. I've either decided to do something and then if I got enough pushback, well then I changed my mind. And sometimes that can be good to be willing to you know hear a different viewpoint and then recognize with new information that maybe you should go in a different direction, but there's also a steadfastness that's missing when you constantly say you're going to do something or you believe something and then you switch, you flippy floppy on it. I obviously am committed to trying to have what God's very best is for my life and understanding what He wants me to do. I also see that I could actually, I have some days where I say, you know what, I need to refilm all of my videos. I've had this thought. You know, you're in a different place now, Michael. You're more gentle, you have better understanding now. You, you, you're leaving down a permanent track record of parts of you that, that have changed. So why not refilm everything? As if I'm always trying to make things more... Uh, I, I get the idea that I'm a, a, quote, maximizer. I always want to take things that are good and make them better. I'm trying to do that. But I think that may be out of balance in me a little bit sometimes. I think I need to be on guard against always needing to change something or act like God can't use it unless it's quote perfect. There's another part of me that says I'm not subject to any man's judgment just like the Bible says. Uh, I think it's a second Corinthians. I can't remember the verse but it's what what number and chapter but it, it's that the spiritual man judges all things but he himself is not ju subject to any man's judgment for who has the mind of Christ. So we're subject to Jesus Christ, not other men. 
particularly not other non-believing men. But I don't know. I'm, I'm also feeling a sense of humility, like the importance of staying really close to God, making sure that I hear clearly from Him, and that I don't get ahead of Him. I have had peace while I was doing these videos, and I felt like God had told me He was proud of me several times. And then I was warned several times of 666. I've seen several 616s. Um, I had a lady come up to me at church uh, a week or so ago and said that after watching some of these videos that she felt like she needs to address some things that are in her past. She was crying about it, so I knew, wow, okay, so God's using that. And I know that God, that Satan has used my mom a lot to try to discourage me, to try to get me to get ahead of God, to try to say I'm not hearing from him correctly. And so it would seem to me that it's very consistent that she would be used, because she's the closest to me right now, to discourage me from doing what I believe God has called me to do. But I have all of a sudden had these fearful thoughts of, oh man, Laura's parents are going to judge you. Laura's going to judge you. Laura's friends are going to judge you. People are going to judge you by this. And there again, I have to ask myself, what does the Bible say? It says, I'm not subject to, to any man's judgment. I remember there's a part where Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you, for I do not even judge myself. Meaning that God himself judges. Wait until the point of time. And I realized that it could cause some people to stumble, even though I apologized heavily up front and said, listen, please understand my heart in this. I don't want you to stumble. I'm not trying to pull my wife down, anything like that. I want people to learn from this. And so I feel like there are enough people that are going through trouble, very difficult, dark, hurtful, scandalous times that want help. That if they hear me talking about the pain and the corruption and the scandalous things and the slander and the horrible hurt, bitterness, anger that I've gone through, they will see that as a light unto their feet. That, not a light unto their feet, not like God's word, but that it will give them light to their path. It'll give them a sense of hope that they are not the only one, that they can keep going, that God can work through it all. Um, I also do notice that it is very interesting for me to see how I have changed because there are some things I say in the video that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with based on, I go, oh, wow, Michael, you're a little emotional there. You know, I'm a very emotional person or you're very kind of hard. You're talking too hard. You need to be more gentle. And so I'm realizing that I'm changing quite a bit. It's good for me. Maybe I'll watch the videos and I will share that and express to people that I'm learning that I'm uncomfortable watching some of my own stuff because I'm changing. God's making me more gentle now in some things. I still have great deals of passion and I have the ability to get uh, indignant towards evil and people that are walking in evil and they know better and stuff like that. But overall, my approach is becoming more gentle. I'm not trying so hard in my own strength. I'm allowing the Spirit of God to do His work. So... Um, one other note, it's only 9.14. I'm feeling a little bit of that drowsy feeling again. I know my nose has got some sort of a weird feeling in it. I chose not to take an allergy pill this morning. I'm trying to see if that's affecting me. I did eat breakfast, but I am having a, a little bit of a drowsy feeling. I'm wondering if it, you know, is it the carbs from the, the bread 
you know, that's making me feel this way. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to continue to try to monitor this. And I've had some coffee this morning, about a cup and a half, big cup and a half. Um, and uh, now I'm headed up to the trail to pray. <laughs>